So we're still rolling here with the uh, with the recording, and um, anybody who has a question, we'd be glad to hear the question, and I'll repeat it for the sake of the people who are listening on the on, on online, and then we'll try to try to respond if we can. Yeah. So uh, the Essenes were known as like the aesthetics. So when I think aestheticism, I think don't have any sex, be celibate for life, don't drink any wine or you know, food restrictions, all of this. So I don't know, for me it seems like maybe this is more a better term would not be aestheticism, but maybe just Christian self-control, because like you guys pointed out correctly, we're not trying to be Gnostics and we're also not trying to be libertines. What are your thoughts on on yeah. the Essenes and, and finding that middle ground? Yeah, so that was a great question. The question had to do with the Essenes uh, and uh, just more largely the, the, the I think, uh, the tendency for us to think of asceticism as complete denial uh, across the board. In other words, n never uh, enjoying the goods of this life, uh, bodily goods, etc. cetera, uh, and whether or not using the term asceticism is helpful. Uh, or maybe we should just use the term Christian self-control. So any thoughts on that? I mean, I think with terminology, it, it, it you know, it, it, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you can unpack what you mean by the term. I mean, you know, so if I'm using the word ascetic in a way that is talking about the way in which Christians reformed and refashioned something that was part of creation that kind of oriented itself into ways that that needed the Christian um, purification and reorientation, um, and I explain what that is. Ascetic, you know, ascetic practices is fine because you're really just talking about ways in which we're denying certain aspects of ourselves to to uh, cultivate, orient, and hone um, other aspects of ourselves. And so if it, you know, but if you want to use the term Christian self-control and that, that help, you know, that's, that doesn't carry the baggage with you. I, I mean, I, I don't see a problem with that either. Um, the key is what do we mean by all of it at the end of the day? And that will require some rigorous spelling out. So whether we use, you know, the term, you know, I mean, I think what is helpful about retrieving the term is that you're having people that aren't Christians start to do ascetic practices. So it, it allows the church to talk about its way of, uh, of um, refashioning those things in a Christian light. Um, but on the other hand, if, if it's too confusing and it gets blurred with, you know, practices of the Essenes or something, then yeah, maybe another definition is, is fine. Yeah, I would... Um I, I would push back on this and because Christian self-control doesn't, in my mind, doesn't convey the idea of having a discipline of fasting, for example. You know, and when you think about ascetic practices like fasting, um, there really isn't a good general term other than asceticism for them. Hmm. Um, I would note, by the way, that um, chastity, um, is, you know, we, we talk about the monastic vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. It's really not chastity in this case. It's poverty, celibacy, and obedience. Chastity is something that applies to everyone. You know, married, unmarried, doesn't matter. Um, that is an ascetic practice. 
You know, fasting is probably the easiest and most obvious of them. Um, there is a whole raft of these things, silence, mm -hmm. solitude, yeah. uh, and so on, that are practices that benefit our spiritual life in many ways that Protestants largely ignore. So I would defend the use of the term because of the, the body of practices that are generally associated with mm. it that I think we really need to recover. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, that, that, that particular point I think is worth uh, sort of uh, developing, you know, um, the fact that uh, fasting is something that almost is, uh, well, it, it, it's not a subject that comes up at all in our circles. Um, I mean, I can't, I can't think of a single instance, uh, except my own preaching, <laughs> in which I've heard uh, a, a Reformed pastor encourage people to fast. I can't think of a single instance. Yeah. And, and in, in Scripture, it's so tied to spiritual life, I mean, prayer and fasting, spiritual warfare, right? That there, there is certain things that aren't going to take place unless there is a commitment, a deeper commitment to the spiritual life, which includes fasting, right? These don't come out unless these things are yeah, taking no, place. And this, the odd thing is, is I can think back to the Puritans uh, and, and, you know, so forth, and they didn't have any problem encouraging people to fast. Uh, yeah. What is it about the modern uh, Reformed Church that finds that uh, kind of out of bounds? I don't know. You know, I think the potluck dinner and <laughs> I think that I think that killed I think that killed it. <laughs> I, I suspect it's actually one of these examples where the culture has um, has infiltrated the church to such a degree that we don't even recognize it, and that the culture's rejection of self denial um, is really shaping more of our practice than the scripture is. Yeah, yeah, that's a good thought. Well, it, and it's a, a quick note on that point. And I do remember in certain contexts, especially I remember uh, the, it, when I lived in North Carolina, especially around a lot of the, the Southern Baptist communities, is though you at that time you had a strong kind of abstaining from alcohol. But the, the, the issue of going out to eat and big feasts, <laughs> I mean, it was, yeah, it, you know, it, there was a lot of overindulgence in that area. But there was a, yeah, so they were making up for it in other ways. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I was thinking, uh, would it be accurate to, to uh, view God as a kind of ascetic in that, number one, he gave the example of keeping the Sabbath, so he abstained from a good practice of his creative power on um, the seventh day. And then he also proscribed eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which by all appearances was a, a good thing and desirable, obviously. But he prescribed it, and, and, uh, and all, all they had to do was fast from it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, an observation here that I think is worth considering uh, in terms of asceticism and God's commands. Um, you know, the Sabbath day, in, in principle, is a abstaining from a good thing, which is work. In, in other words, work is good. Yeah. It's not as though work is evil. Um, and then 
uh, in the garden, you know, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was pleasing to the eye, right? There's something uh, that is there that uh, has an appeal. Uh, and knowledge, of course, is, is a worthwhile thing to pursue. Uh, this particular context with, with it, within which we're talking about knowledge is of good and evil, which in, means both. Yeah. <laughs> Not just good, but also evil. And there's a prescription to... to so the, 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 if I'm reading, uh, hopefully I'm not reading too much into the comment, but it seems as though what I'm hearing the commenter say is uh, uh, asceticism uh, is something that goes all the way back to the beginning. And it, that's a very interesting point being made right there, because it, uh, one of the things that the early Christian theologians and, and theologians that reflect on this issue today talk about is that ascetic practices are a series of protocols uh, protocols, basically, of and, and practices that are all about making sure we don't make idols out of good things. Um, and that's our tendency, to take the goods of creation and turn them into some some kind of God, if you will, or, or something that... And so, so these practices of self-denial are not because they're, you know, work is bad, but because turning work into an idol to where you don't have that boundary there to where one day is, is to, to actually to receive from the source who is providing for all things. Um, you know, all of those commands are bound up with the same, I think the same point here. So there is, there is a, there is a self-denying, there is a practice of withdrawing or withholding um, that is, is about resisting turning a good into an idol. Yeah. Any thoughts, Glenn? No, I, I think that, that that's exactly right. And it, it connects in with a whole host of other areas. You know, I talk about liberty a lot. Liberty only exists where there are boundaries. Right, right. You know, and, uh, you know, what we're talking about is misusing our liberty. Right. So I'm, I think it's fantastic what you guys are talking about. Being ruled by nothing except love or increasing dead in that, but how do we reconcile the conversation about thinking of asceticism as a good thing and Colossians 2 where it says it adds nothing? So in other words, what we're denying ourselves adds nothing to our salvation? Or? Yeah, well, it adds, like in, in controlling the flesh there, right at the end of Colossians 2, I think it's verse 23, it says that, you know, resist philosophies after philosophies saying to do these things because it adds oh, nothing to controlling the flesh. Right, right. And yet, Obviously, we are to train ourselves to deny the flesh and be controlled by the spirit instead. So, mm -hmm. how how does that play in this whole conversation? Because yeah, I've, I found very helpful and really agree with everything you guys have been talking about. But in the back of my mind, the whole time, I'm like, okay, but Colossians two yeah. has this to say. So, how yeah, how do we deal with that? So, uh, the observation uh, here is uh, that uh, Scripture does tell us uh, in the New Testament that certain ascetic practices uh, are uh, both unnecessary and maybe even harmful in certain set settings. For example, denying ourselves uh, meat, um, yeah. you know, uh, that would be an example I would uh, bring up. Mm -hmm. uh, how do we reconcile that? 
with you know pl- pl- you know passages where Paul talks about beating his own body into submission. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, how do, yeah. how does this all work? How do we think about this? I, I think this is a to me this is kind of comes down to you know uh, salvation sanctification kind of uh, yeah. conversation. If you if you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, yeah. that well, Glenn, go ahead. Well, in, in Colossians, there's a really interesting passage on this. It it talks about since you since you died in Christ to the elementary principles of this world, why do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These things have the appearance of godliness with their, the literal Greek is their will worship. Mm. But it says, but they are of no value in restraining sensual indulgence. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how do, you know, how how does that one work? I think right. that, one of the keys has to do with why you are doing it. You know, if you think that if I do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, then I am not going to fall into these these problems. Well, that's true on an external level, but it's not true on an internal level. You know, and Jesus is really clear that what goes on on the inside of our heart is just as important as what we do with our outside. So, if your goal in doing this is to be a Pharisee and to avoid sin, it's a problem. On the other hand, if your goal is, as Paul talks about it, you know, basically training, that's a different matter. And the fact is that what we do with our body does affect our souls. And so we need to be careful and appropriate in terms of what we do with our body and to make sure that our appetites don't control us, for example. And one of the ways of doing that is to train ourselves through these practices to keep those appetites under control. Well, and I think, I think you, you know, I think if I heard the question right, I think the pneumatological, the doctrine of the spirit is very key here. Um, this is, this is one of the, this is one of the, I think the things that Paul brings up over and over again, when he talks, for example, in Romans, where he starts to talk about this dilemma he's in, he does what he hates, he hates what he does, but here's a person who is a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? And so, so how are you in this situation where you're doing all these things that are supposed to give you a clear conscience before God, and yet you find yourself a slave, even when you're doing all these practices that you're supposed to wean off of that. But what does he turn to? He first turns to doxology. Thanks be to God in Christ, for in him there's no condemnation at all, right? So, so we're dealing with the grace character at the heart of our justification. But he, then he talks about the way in which that opens the d- door to walk in the newness of the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, which sets us free from the law of sin and death the law of the spirit of life. And I think that's what you're getting in Colossians. Those kind of ascetic practices are bound up with a life that is driven by the principle of the spirit. And so you are not just dealing with the externals to somehow make yourself right before God. You're uprooting the, the, the sin and, the, and the, the heart of the matter in, in ways that you're actually purifying and being purified by the Spirit's work, and there that takes shape in certain practices. And these practices now have, as Glenn said, an orientation um, that is very different than the kind of elementary, you know, practices of, of the world in its fallen condition. 
Um, those, like you say, they like as a guitarist, I can practice scales and gain a certain freedom and discipline on an instrument to play certain kinds of music. There is a freedom there. I don't need to have to have sanctification go on to work that out. But I'm not playing for the glory of God in just by merely doing those practices and also, you know, being able to play certain songs. So there is a there is something different going on there. I don't know if that analogy helps, but well, I think it does because when we, of course, think about what we see in the manosphere, it's not about the glory of God. That's right. It's about yeah. uh, just sort of self mastery, freedom. Is, yeah. yeah, which is a, a worthwhile thing to pursue, but it's not an ultimate good. It's not a final good. Right. Other uh, questions or thoughts? I think we're all worn out thinking about denying ourselves here in this <laughs> in this marvelous uh, brew pub here that encourages us to indulge ourselves. <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks a lot, folks. Uh, we'll wrap it up with that. If you want to say goodbye to all the people listening in podcast land, just shout out goodbye. goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Well, so we'll wrap it up here. Thanks a lot. Thanks for coming out, folks. It's been fun. The Theology Podcast is a ministry of Trinity Reformed Church in Huntsville, Alabama. If you enjoy the Theology Podcast, you might enjoy one of our other podcasts, Got a Minute, featuring Larson Hicks and Pastor Rich Lusk. Rich theological discussion guaranteed to leave you edified.